And so I need you to think about when you were a kid, the vision you had for your life. What did you think your life was going to be like? What were you hoping to do, accomplish? I'm talking young. I want you to think like 10 years or younger. Let me, let me give you some of mine for a few minutes. So when I was about four years old, the first job I ever wanted was to be a garbage man. Because, man, it looks so fun to just ride the back of the truck. I was like, I'm in on that all day. Then, fast forward a couple years, maybe five or six now. I, 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 now, a lot of you guys, young crowd, so a lot of you guys aren't going to relate to this, but I'll tell you how it was, okay? Back in the day, you used to drive your car to the gas station, and the gas station attendant would fill your car up for you. You'd stay in the car, nice and warm, and they'd fill it up for you. Also, not many people used credit cards. They used cash. And so my parents would be up in the front of the station wagon, and they would go to pay the gas station attendant, and he would take the biggest wad of money out of his pocket you've ever seen in your life. And I looked at this man and said, that man is rich. I want to be a gas station attendant worker. So that was plan number two. Plan number three, I was going to play on the New York Mets. This is about ages 7 to 11. I was going to be a Met. I went outside. I threw the ball at my roof for three to four hours every day. And I loved it. And I was like, I I seriously thought I was going to play for the Mets until I one day saw something and fell in love with it. No, it wasn't my wife yet. It was this drum set. Not that one, but a drum set. I saw a drum set and I said, oh my gosh, my life is now going to be about this. And from the ages of 11 to about 16, I've spent probably three to four hours a day. The same energy I'd spent on baseball was now spent on drumming. And I was going to record and I was going to tour and I was going to do this my whole life. I was going to be that old guy you make fun of with hair down in the middle of his back And as you can see, sometimes things don't quite work out like you hoped. But that was the third vision I had for my life. But the fourth one, I think, was the one that actually God put in place. The fourth one, I was about 16, 17 years old. I'm going to church. I'm going to youth group. And I'm seeing my dad be used by God in kids' lives. He was a youth pastor at the church I went to. And I'm just going, wow, that's incredible. Like, there are kids coming on who are broken. There are kids coming in from broken families. And God's using my dad to point them to Jesus and give them hope and, and help put families back together. And, and so I'm just kind of blown away by this. And I'm thinking, man, I think that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. And so I, I end up going to college and school. And I thought I was going to be a youth pastor forever. But God, at the age of about 16, gave me that vision for my life, that it was going to be a life of ministry, just trying to point people to him. And I'm so thankful for the vision that God gave me. And you know what? Vision is so important, Right? The Bible says something about vision. It says, without vision, the people what? Anybody know it? The people perish, right? Not a great prognosis without vision. And so for four weeks, we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about what God is up to here in our church and what he might want to do through our church. And what happened was is I was kind of just thinking about 2020. I'm thinking, oh, what, are, what are the themes? What, like, what's on your heart for our church, for our area, for our community in 2020? What is, what's going to matter? Like, what's really important for us to focus in on? And and it started out with three words, and then it turned into four words, and it's the four words up on the screen. It's bold, strong, urgent love. And I want to take four weeks, and I want to really unpack what this means for us. I want us to talk about what it means to have this boldness, to be strong in a certain way, this urgency and this love. And there's this kind of like mantra I want us to have this year, okay? I want us to know the thing I'm about to share with you inside and out. I want you to be able to, to say it, just like that. I want it to be in your heart. I don't want you to have to look at a piece of paper by the end of these four weeks. I don't want you to have to think back, ask a friend, what was Doug talking about? I want it to be deep inside you. And so I'm going to say this first, and then I want you to read it along with me. Okay, here's kind of the mantra for the next month and hopefully this year. Here's what I pray we will be. We will be bold in asking, strong in the Lord, urgently shining, and love is the glue. Can you say that with me? Bold in asking, strong in the Lord, urgently shining, 
love is the glue. And we're going to take four weeks and unpack what all that means. But tonight, I want to talk with you about boldness. Now, most of you are thinking I'm going to talk about being bold for God, being bold and going out there into the world and, and telling everybody you know about Jesus. Hey, that's great, but that's not where we're headed tonight. I want to talk with you about a different kind of boldness. And the boldness has to do with the impossible situations that you and I face. You see, all of us have faced really difficult things. Some of us have recently been handed a really scary medical report. Somebody just, we walked into a room, a doctor just shoved this thing in our face. And for us or for a loved one, we're looking at something that's insurmountable, something that really super intimidates us, that's really, really scary. Some of us, man, we got a collections letter, right? Those are fun. You get that, and it's like, you owe this much, and here's what will happen if you don't pay it soon enough. Or some of you guys got some denied college applications back. You, you applied all over the place, and it was like, no, 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 right? Some of you guys, man, you got one of these pink slips at work, man, not fun, right? Some of you guys got a breakup text. Some of you guys got an invitation to a party that you knew was going to lead you somewhere God wouldn't want you to go. What do you do with it right now? Some of you guys were handed divorce papers or your parents were handed divorce papers and everybody's kind of still reeling and trying to get their feet back under themselves. Some of you guys have been getting some return to sender mail, maybe from a kid or a grandkid that doesn't want to hear from you anymore. Or maybe you've been getting return to sender from your friend that you keep on trying to invite to church. You get, you know, that you stay on read on their text, right? Uh, they saw it, but they didn't write back. I invited them to church. I've been praying for them. And man, what do I do with these situations that are so difficult? We've been handed some papers by our architects for this amazing property up the road. And as we look at them, we go, this is incredible. How are we going to pay for it, right? Really big, heavy stuff. Some of you guys got a breakup text this week. Some of you guys got the news from your parents that, man, you're moving. This is like blowing your world. How am I going to pull this off? There's so much pain wrapped up in every one of us tonight. Like there's so much stuff going on in each of our lives tonight. What do we do with that stuff? In 2020, I want you to know what to do with that stuff. In fact, I'll tell you this, and, and I'll probably un, you know, unravel this as we go tonight, but God kind of you know, shocked and surprised me today on a personal level. I just came, I, I was excited about being able to share this with you guys, but, but man, God's been stirring some stuff up in me and, and some emotions have been coming out of me. I just didn't see coming today when it has to do with some of the pain I've been holding on to, some of the load I'm carrying, leading the church, my family, friends that I love that are going through hardship, some of you guys, man, some stuff came out of me today I didn't even know was there. What do we do with all that? What do we do with those impossible situations and, and the pain deep inside? See, there's something that I think God's calling us to do with it. Because a lot of us just hold on to it. A lot of us just try to figure out ourselves how to navigate and what to do. We start to manipulate. We start to try to figure out options and come up with scenarios or we just bury a bunch of junk and pretend it's not there. But man, there's something so much better we can do. And I want us to see today in a really fascinating story in the Bible what somebody else did when they faced horrific circumstances, when they were afraid, when it seemed like the end of the world basically was coming for them. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for checking us out. If this is new to you, we are so excited that you're in the room. And we would love to continue to walk with you for a little while if you'll let us and, and help you just see who Jesus is and see what it means to follow him. But I would guess there are some impossible situations in your life too. There's some pain in your life too. And I pray tonight you'll kind of walk with us and learn what to do with it. I will say this too though. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the biggest impossible situation you have going on is this thing called sin. I don't know if you believe in it or not. I don't know if you ever thought about it or not. But there's some problem with you and God tonight. There's this cavern that is between you and God, and you need help when it comes to this impossible 
situation in your life. And so we're going to look tonight at a really, really awesome story. Probably most of us in the, in the room don't know this story, aren't familiar with it. I read it. I read it again. I read it in a couple different books of the Bible because it's, it's told in a couple different books of the Bible. And it's just so fascinating. But we're going to see this impossible situation, and we're going to see what kind of the main person in this passage does with this impossible situation and try to learn from it. And so we're going to look at this guy named Hezekiah. He's the king of Judah. He's one of the good godly kings that ever ruled in Israel and Judah's history. And here's what happened. The king of Assyria was just rolling up on cities and eating them up and spitting them out. Like he was just devastating cities. He would, he would show up with his huge army of, 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 of almost 200,000 soldiers and he would just decimate cities, destroy them, sometimes take a bunch of their people, ship them off. He did this with Israel. And the king... Hezekiah knows he's coming for Judah next. And so he begins to figure out, what are we going to do? So he does a couple things. He kind of manipulates a few circumstances. He becomes an ally with Egypt and says, hey, help us fight off the king of Assyria. He also tries to buy them off. And so he sends a bunch of silver and gold to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria goes, thank you. This is awesome. I'll take it. And he takes it. But then he says, I'm still coming for your city. And so he says, I'm still coming for Judah and Jerusalem. And I'm going to pound you guys into the ground. And this is where our story picks up. In verse 17 of 2 Kings 18, it says this, The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. And so Hezekiah sends out three of his representatives to meet with them. And it says this, The field commander said to them, So this is the king of Assyria's commander, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. Listen to this. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? Anybody here in the room going through something tonight? Impossible situation? And there's this thought that you should trust God with it? Has it ever felt like a circumstance or a person or even your own mind has said to you, on what are you basing your confidence right now? Like seriously, you're going to trust God? It goes on. He says, you say... Have the counsel, I'm sorry, you say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. Here's another great question for you. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Guys, I'm telling you, the people in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, and sometimes our own thoughts take us right there. On whom are you depending? You're seriously going to trust God through this? Guys, we're coming for you. Our troubles say, our, the people in our lives say, and the circumstances say, we're coming for you, and we're, we're not taking any names. We're just going to destroy and some of you guys, man, you've been handed that report. You've been handed that denial. You've been receiving that text message that says, no, no, it's done, it's over. And you're just like, I have no hope. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to navigate this. This feels so, so heavy. Then, this representative of the king of Assyria, this commander, goes on to make a case for why Judas should surrender. And look at what it says in verse 21. Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. He's saying, you don't really think you and Egypt are going to take us on. And really what he's trying to do is put a bunch of fear in the hearts of the people of Judah and King Hezekiah. And I tell you what, there are people, circumstances, and your own thoughts kind of reeling, right? Like looking at you and me, looking at our circumstances, looking at the brokenness, saying there just simply is no hope. Whom are you depending on? How are you going to get through this? It goes on, verse 24. He says, how can you repulse or fight off 
or push off even one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen. What he's saying is, guys, our army's huge, and we're going to decimate you. We are enormous. You cannot beat us. And that's what our circumstances scream at us. That's what wakes you up early in the morning. That's what keeps you up late at night. You are going to be destroyed by this, right? When I was a youth pastor, I brought in a band to play at the green room. And we picked them up at the airport. We drove around. And I am not a cool person, okay? These were cool people, all right? They dressed cool. They talked cool. They were artists. And so we're driving, and they start using this lingo and this and that. And I'm just an idiot. Like, I just, you know, they're wearing all these nice clothes. I got, like, my jeans and my T-shirt on like normal, and I don't know what I'm talking about. And so they start talking about coffee. We would like some coffee. Now, I don't know much about coffee. All I know about coffee is it smells good. I don't know how to make it. I don't drink it. Okay, I don't talk to people who do, okay? So my wife loves it. We haven't talked in a while. But, but we, uh, we're driving around, and they start talking about this Bucks place. There's a star or so, like a Starbucks or something. I don't even know. So, so I, I know where one is. I drive up, and I take their order. And they, they're, they're telling me as we're sitting in the drive-thru what they want. And everything's going fine, and in my head, I think I got this, you know? And still I, tar- I start to order. So, so they ask for a, a venti frappuccino, right? And so... The normal human being in life knows venti just means a large, right? It's the big one, right? It's the 20 ounce. It's Italian for 20. That's what venti means, okay? But I'm not a normal human being. And so I roll up, and I look at the nice drive through person. And I say, can I please have a vintage frappuccino? <laughs> and the person starts laughing at me, and all the people in the car start laughing at me. And they're like, Doug, it's, it's venti, venti. And now i got to play it cool. I'm like, no, vintage, give me the oldest one you have. You know, like, i gotta, I got to play this up somehow. You know, what year is that, that, that frap, you know? Such an idiot, right? But guys, the king of Assyria, man, his commanders are coming and goes, guys, we are venti, right? We are large. We are huge. We are tall. We are the big one. We are the biggest thing you've ever seen before, and we are coming for you, and we are going to simply decimate you. And that's what we hear, man. Our situation, our circumstance, it's vintage, bro. It's, it's huge, right? It's coming for us. Verse 25, he goes, he goes on. He's still making arguments. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lo- Listen to this. This is the commander of the pagan army. The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. He's now saying, God sent me. God sent me to destroy you. Wow, isn't that interesting? So here's what we know from the Bible and from life. We know sometimes God introduces difficult circumstances into our life to discipline us if we're getting off, off course and, and draw us back to him close or to set us up to see him do something huge. But here's what else we need to know about life and what we see here in the scripture is that sometimes somebody says or some circumstance says, God sent me, and they have no right to say it. You see, we have no proof in the scriptures that God actually told the king of Assyria to come against Israel. And there are things in our lives God has sent to grow us, develop us, mature us, show us who he is. But there are also things that say, I am here in the name of God, and they are lying. And they steal from us. I believe in a sovereign God. But I also believe that at times, we allow things to be stolen from us because we believe God said something that he never sent. And this army, I don't think, was sent by God. In fact, The only way it was sent by God was to set these people up to see something mind-blowing. So Hezekiah's people stopped the Assyrian officials, all right? So here's what's going on. As they're kind of barking and yelling out their different orders and and saying, hey, here's here's what we think, here's what happens. 
the, the, the representatives of Hezekiah, they go up and they go, guys, can we be quiet here? Because as we just read a few minutes ago, you might not have picked up on it, but they're having this conversation by the aqueduct, which is where the people would wash their clothes. So some poor joker sitting there washing his jeans, and he's hearing these great threats from the king of Assyria. So the representatives of Hezekiah say this, hey, any chance we could have this conversation in a different language? Like, if you guys switch over to a different language, then the people here washing their clothes won't have to be afraid by what you're saying, because this really isn't fair. And so watch what happens right here in the midst of this. But the commander replied, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things? Then the commander stood out and called out in Hebrew, the language all the people washing their clothes could hear or could understand, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria, This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Verse 30, you ready? Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. Sometimes our circumstances scream that at us. Do not, do not let Doug tell you you can trust in the Lord. Don't let your friend, don't let your community group leader tell you you can trust in the Lord. No, this thing's coming after you and it is going to decimate you. He goes on. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Now he's trying to draw the people out. He promises them something. Look at this. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. What is he doing here? He is promising them paradise if they will only do things his way and not rely on God, right? You know that's what happens with you and me all the time, right? The stuff in our life says, hey, if you do things God's way, it's going to go real badly for you. If you trust God in the midst of this impossible circumstance, man, it's going to really be a mess. But if you'll only take some shortcuts, do some things my way, then watch what happens. If you'll lie a little, if you'll, you know, do what you got to do to get ahead, if you'll, I don't know, man, fudge the thing on the the job or the college application and and just, just go ahead and compromise a little bit in the midst of this impossible situation, right? That's what our temptation does. The temptations in our lives like to tell us the grass is greener on whichever side Jesus isn't on, right? Whichever side God isn't on, that's the side we're supposed to choose. He goes on. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim, Hena, and Ivna? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? He's saying, hey guys, um, we've destroyed like city after city after city, and they all said their God was going to save them, but we pummeled them. And where are those gods now? Has ever felt like, your circumstances or somebody in your life or even your own thoughts, you've just thought to yourself, you know what, maybe God's just totally going to fail me. Maybe God's got absolutely no ability to help me through this really difficult situation. The Assyrian messenger is done with his argument for why Judah should surrender. And then, in verse 1 of 2 Kings 19, it said this, When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. I don't know about you, I say we bring this back. You get some bad news this week in the office, I just say rip that suit right in half. And some of you kids in school, man, I tell you, the professors, I actually, I probably shouldn't tell you that. You'll do it, and then I'll get blamed for getting you kicked out of college. So let me take that back. But I love that Hezekiah is broken over what he hears, and he tears his clothes, and then he goes into the temple of the Lord, and then he sends 
some of, our, some of his representatives to our man Isaiah. Remember about Isaiah? We talked about Isaiah almost through the whole month of December. And he said, Isaiah, here's what's going on. Please pray for us. Look at what it says. Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Wow, God speaks, guys. God speaks hope over the situation. And you know what? This is when you and I are afraid and we're in that circumstance and we've got the report staring us in the face. We've got the text staring us in the face. We've got the invitation staring us in the face. We've got the architect's drawings and no money staring us in the face. And we begin to freak out a little bit. But then we open our Bibles and we remember who God is. And we get some peace back. We pray and we speak with somebody, a friend who loves Jesus, and they get us back in that place of excitement about what God might do. But we all know something's true, right? About two minutes after, about two weeks after, about two months after, we find our peace again. The enemy loves to throw a new scary report in our face, doesn't he? And that's exactly what happens here. It's like a Kings 19.10. says this, Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, this is the Assyrian messenger again, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you. Wow. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you. Some of you guys are living right there. You've lost your joy in the midst of your impossible situation because you're believing there's no way that this God is dependable. Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and will you be delivered? Another threat. We're right back where we started. Guys, what does Hezekiah do right here? Question for you and me. What will we do right here? Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. He read it. He, he got his papers together, right? The messengers came in. They said, hey, king, here's what, here's what they said. Here's what they brought, and, and here's what we got. And, and he took them, and he read them, and this is the medical report for you and I, the divorce paper for you and I. This is the breakup text for you and me. This is the college denial. This is the job transfer denied. This is all that stuff for you and me. What do we do right here? Verse, next part of the verse, I love. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, He's got the report in his hand. I imagine he's sitting there. He reads it, and all his people are sitting around him. He just jumps up. He takes this thing, jumps to the temple of the Lord, and says he spread it out before the Lord, right? So he's not just reading it. I don't know about you. I've got to struggle with this. When I get the medical report, when I get the scary news, it seems like all I can do is sit there and read it to myself over and over and over and over and think about it. How am I going to fix this, and what am I going to do? But no, he goes, Lord, got a report. It's scaring the life out of me. It's bigger than me. It's impossible. It's going to destroy us. God hears the report, and he brings it out to the Lord. Goes on, verse 15. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And I love this because Hezekiah is not being a cocky, arrogant jerk. He's starting with praise. Like he walks in to God's presence and he's real about what he's going through, but he starts out with praise. And I think really a lot of it, he's just reminding his own heart. He starts out going, God, you sit in throne like between the cherubim, like the angels, like you're on your throne and you're 
the king over all the earth, and you created all things. Like, that's where he starts. And here's my, my thought today, and, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say the same is true of me that's probably true of you. I, I bet today when you woke up, when your alarm went off, your first thought wasn't God is sitting on the throne between the angels. He's the one and only king over all, and he created everything. I bet we started with, man, I got that report. I got that medical report. I got that, how are my parents getting through this? How am I getting through this? How, how, how's my friend ever going ever gonna to find Jesus? They keep on shooting me down. Like Those are the thoughts that hit us first. But Hezekiah starts with this incredible truth, and he reminds God who he's talking to. Guys, that's who you're talking to. You remember that, right? You're talking to the God sitting between the angels on his throne, king over all, creator of all. And then he goes on, and this is really powerful. He says, give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the word Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. Guys, Hezekiah isn't stupid. He knows what these people are capable of. And he's honest. So he starts with praise, but then he's real before God. And he goes, God, these people are coming to destroy us. And this is you and me going into God's presence saying, God, you're on your throne. But this disease that I have, said, that they say it kills 75% of the people that have it. God, this bill, I have no way. I have done the math a thousand different ways. I've figured out how to sell everything I have, even my dog. I am not going to be able to pay this thing off. God, there's no possibility for healing in my marriage or my parents' marriage. There's just no way. I've seen them fight. God, I can't imagine getting past this. God, that friend that I keep inviting to church, there's no way, man. There's no way. They're so angry. They hate you so much. And he's honest. He's honest. God, you're there. You're huge. You're amazing. There's no one like you. But here's real life. Here's what I'm facing right now. Verse 18. Then he says this. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. He says, okay, all the other nations that got rolled over, they didn't have a real God. They had these stupid idols that they threw in the fire and would burn. But I've got the one true God on my side. And then he says this, Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. I love this, man. This bold request, right? This bold ask. Oh, God, please show up. Oh, God, please make the difference in this situation. I'm going to boldly ask you, God, to do an amazing thing. And I want you to come through and rescue us in such a huge way that everybody knows that you're God. Oh, God, would you heal my loved one in such an amazing way that everybody knows you did it? Oh God, would you touch our marriage, my parents' marriage? Would you touch my child, my grandchild who won't talk to me? Would you touch my neighbor, my friend who needs you, Jesus? Would you please, God, build the church up on the hill in such an amazing way that everybody knows it was you? Verse 20, Isaiah comes back into the picture. He sends a message to Hezekiah, and it says this. The God of Israel says, I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Some of us just need to hear that today, guys. God has heard your prayer. He has heard your prayer. 
God goes on for a while talking about the Assyrians, and then he says this, Isaiah says this, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I love that because Hezekiah figured he was going to just spit up, or chew up and spit out Judah just like every other city. And God here is saying he's not even going to fire an arrow here. And then, this is how it wraps up. Verse 34. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And that night, an angel of the Lord goes out and decimates the Assyrian army. 185,000 soldiers. Moral of the story. Don't mess with angels. (laughs) Actual moral of the story. Man, God is really powerful. God is really powerful. And the things in your life and my life that feel like they're going to kill us, that feel like they're going to destroy us, there's no way past it. It's insurmountable. This is impossible. There's no way God could come through. Every single one of those is is within God's capability of coming through on. So what do we do? What do we do with the pain? What do we do with the insurmountable issues in our life? Guys, we boldly ask God to come through. And that's what I pray. We'll get deep in our hearts. Let's boldly ask God for big things in 2020. Let's ask for really big things, not just kind of go halfway. Let's go wholeheartedly toward God. God, would you come through? Would you come through, God? There are some big things I need. And God, I'm going to start with praise. I'm going to remember you are on your throne and you are good and there's nothing too difficult for you. And then I'm going to be real because this stuff's real, God. We're not talking about being pretend and fake and acting like this isn't all going on. No, this is all very real and extremely painful. But God, I know you hear me. And so I'm going to ask boldly that you will come through. And some of us in this room have given up on some stuff. We've just decided, not because God said no. We haven't heard no yet. We just decided he must not want to show up in this situation. It's one thing when God says no and makes that clear. And guys, sometimes God says no, right? See, we're not a name it, claim it church, okay? We don't believe whatever we say, God has to give. God is not a genie, right? I'm not stupid enough to think that if I ask God for this, this, and that, he's going to give me everything because if he did, tomorrow I'd be unpraying some of those same things because I don't see what God sees. He protects me many times. My, I, I love to say yes to my kids, but I say no sometimes because my kids ask for dumb things sometimes, right? And how much greater is my, is my Father in heaven who looks at me and says, okay, Doug, I, I hear you asking for this and that, but that's going to be horrible for you, so, so no. And, and oh, this, yes, but you have to wait, which is a word we hate, right? But here's what I believe with all my heart. Sometimes we stop asking God boldly for big things because we got disappointed he didn't give us one or two big things, and he was really protecting us by not giving us those really big things, but then we miss out on all the other things he does want to say yes to. Like my daughter sitting in the front row. How silly would it be if there were times where she came to me and asked me for something and I said no like two or three times and then she just never asked me for anything ever again. Wouldn't happen. But that's what we do with God, isn't it? God, I I asked you for this. 
and you didn't come through. And so I guess you don't ever want to come through. No, that's not our God. Our God is one who just sees what we don't see. Understands what we don't understand, but, but at the end of the day, we have a God who wants us to, to boldly ask him for huge, huge things. And so this year, church, let's be bold in our asking that we will be crying out to God, God, please, Lord. Okay, let me start here. You're, you're, you're on the throne, and you are good, and you're over all things, and nothing's too hard or difficult for you, but here is my life right now, and this hurts like crazy. It's all I can think about. I'm not sleeping because of it. It's so difficult. So God, I'm going to ask you to come through. And you know what? You might say yes to this, or you might say wait on this, or you might say no on this. But as I continue to come to you boldly, I'm going to see answers to prayer. See, that's the truth. As we continue to go to him boldly, we will see answers to prayer. And we will see him show up. And in the process, guys, he's going to draw us close to him, which is the best thing ever. I mean, we've all been there probably where we got what we wanted in life, but we were far from Jesus and we were miserable, right? One of the beautiful things we get as we approach God with boldness is him. We get to be close to him. We get to be near to him. We get to lean on him. And so what's going on in you tonight? What's going on deep in your heart? What, what broken situation that you just can never imagine turning out right side up, man? is that thing that tonight God's saying, bring to me, bring it to me, trust me with it. Like, let me have it. It's way too heavy for you. Stop trying to carry this thing on your own. Please just boldly come to me and you spread that report out before me and you speak to me. You might say, Doug, I don't know how to pray. It's real easy. Here's how you can be confident to pray. How would you talk to somebody who loves you and wants to hear from you? That's God. He loves you and wants to hear from you. If you're stumbling, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, you talk to him like you talk to me. Except he loves you so much more, and he wants to hear from you so much more, and you can't ever bother him. There's never a time that you bring him one of your reports, and he goes, I'm sick of hearing this. He wants to keep hearing from you. And so boldly ask him this year to come through. Let me just give you two illustrations. One, years ago, about 15 years ago, my my first son, Cade, was born, and Right around the time he was born, we got into some financial trouble, just medical bills. One of our cars died right around that time. And, um, you know, it's weird having a kid. Like, you got to, like, feed him and buy stuff. And, you know, it's, like, strange, this whole dynamic. Um, I'm starting to get the hang of it. But, but around that time, it was scary. And it was literally to the point of, like, okay, I don't know how we're going to pay our mortgage. And, and, and so I want to say for a month or two, I was just walking in my neighborhood at night and just praying. God, like we need help. And I wasn't asking for the world, man. I, I, we needed $2,000 to make ends meet. And I'm not going to like go up to a church person and be like, hey, can I borrow something? You know, like that's just shady and weird, okay? So I'm going to go to God, okay? And so I start to ask God. I'm just, God, this is what we need. Please come through. Please just show up, God. And it's a little discouraging, man. And getting 30 days in, still aren't there. Okay, God, we just need you. Please help. God, mortgage is coming up. We got to deal with this. We got to pay off that medical bill. We got to figure out this car thing. God, please come through. And one day we walk into church and this couple comes running up to us and says, Doug and Kelly, we just really feel like God put on our heart to, to help you financially. And we're like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that, no, no. And God's like, shut up, idiot. These are the people I sent in answer to your prayer, you know. And so they're like, what do you need? And, and I, I'm funny about this stuff. So I was just like, you know what? I've been asking God to come through for us. So he knows what we need. So maybe you could ask him what you should give to us. And so they were like, kind of annoyed, and like, okay. 
and walked away and, and, and came back the next week with an envelope and a check inside. And as soon as they handed it to me, I was like, there's $2,000 in here. Not even a question in my mind. I, I absolutely know because, man, I've been seeking God for this. And again, we're not a name it, claim it church. It's not $2,000 for the Doug hair plug fund or anything. Like, you know, like, like this was need, you know what I mean? And so I'm crying out, and I open up that thing, and $2,000 check, and I go back inside, and I say, guys, you heard from Jesus. I said, this is exactly what we were asking God for. God cares about that. I mean, $2,000 was a huge deal to us in that time in our family's history. That was a huge deal. And God just heard the cries and heard the bold, the bold cries out, oh God, please come through. Please show up. I'd say another quick illustration is just relationship, man. We've seen God do it. All day long at all our services, there have been couples sitting next to one another who are still married that should be divorced. There are kids who are talking to their parents again because God showed up. The guy who founded our church last, last week, he, he spoke in the morning services and, and he talked about how his marriage should have been destroyed in the first few years, and they're coming up on 50 this year because God showed up. My mother-in-law, who's the, the wife of the founder of the church, she had changed the locks, kicked, the, kicked my, my uh, father-in-law out, kicked all, taken all his stuff out. It was done. And the two of them found Jesus the very same night, and God healed everything. And they probably got the best marriage I've ever seen in my life. See, this is what God is capable of. When we boldly come to him and say, God, I am desperate here. I need you so much. And here's the part of the message that has been messing with me all day. First service, got through the whole message, man, good to go. And then at the end of the message, I just started to kind of lead people in prayer. Like, you know how I normally do at the end of the service, just some application. Like, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, just I want you to say, God, I believe that you're going to, Touch that family. God, I just trust you with the financial issue. God, I trust you with the medical issue. God, I trust you with the school. I trust you with all that. And then I said this. God, I trust you to build that building up the hill. And I lost it. And I didn't realize the weight that I've been carrying with that. And along with that, some other pain just deep inside me. And I just started to cry and then went back after I was done, and I just wept back there with me and the file cabinets in the back. It was a nice little <laughs> romantic thing. And I came out second service, and I, I told the story of what happened at the first, and I cried even harder and worse, and then went back there and did the same thing with the file cabinets again, <laughs> just crying. And I don't think I have much left, which I'm thankful for, because this has been a really emotional day, and I didn't see it coming. But what I didn't realize was it was the pain it was the heaviness. It was the pain of people I love. It was the brokenness of, of I, I, man, marriage is falling apart and, and people I care for and, and people who are sick and people who are, are suffering and, and people who can't see God's vision for their life. And, and it's the weight of this building thing. And man, it just, it just hit me today that, wow, I, I need, I need to boldly ask God for some big things in 2020. Like I do. I mean, I knew I was going to be preaching this message at you. I didn't know how much I needed to hear it. And so this year, can we please, together, boldly ask God for big things in 2020. That he would come through. That he would show up. And he's going to say no to some stuff. But we're going to be glad about that one day when we see it for what it is. And he's going to say wait on some stuff. And it'll be better because we did wait. 
but he's going to say yes on some stuff too. And I think we're going to have some stories to tell, some stories to share, because we prayed boldly this year. I want us just to say together this, this mantra for 2020. I'm going to put it up on the screens, and I'll say it once, and I want you and me to go ahead and say it together. And so we want to be bold and asking, strong in the Lord, urgently shining. Love is the good. Let's say that together. Bold and asking, strong in the Lord, urgently shining. Love is the glue. Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful, Jesus, for what you've done for us. God, we are amazed at, at who you are and that you sit enthroned between the angels, God, that you are maker of all things, that you are over all things, the one and only God. We thank you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you right now to, to boldly ask God about some of the issues in your life. Would you just go to him? Would you bring to him whatever medical report you know of. Maybe it's you, maybe it's a loved one. I want you to bring the divorce papers. I want you to bring the college rejection. I want you to bring the, 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 the breakup text. I want you to bring the friend that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to bring, uh, if you care about it, the, the, the building up the, the hill here, that, that God would show up, and like Hezekiah said, in a way that everybody knows who the Lord is. That he would come through like that. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, spend a minute doing that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, can you just listen to me for one minute here? So I said earlier that the biggest problem you have tonight is this cavern between you and God, this separation between you and God. And there is nothing you and I can do about that. Like, I did not fix that in my life. Jesus fixed it. Jesus loves you so much. He came for you. He died on the cross, and he rose back from the dead. And he wants you know him. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. And he wants you to be close to him. And so if you want to put your trust in him today, I'd encourage you, just pray with me right now. Just silently. You can say something like this. You can even use your, your own words if you want, but something like this. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising back from the dead for me. And Jesus, show me now what it is to follow you. Show me now what it looks like to know you as my God and my Savior and the one who can help me face my impossible situations. Before we open our eyes together today, just so I could be praying for you this week, if you prayed that for the first time today, would you just look at me in the eyes real quick? Anybody in the room do that today? I just want to make sure we're praying for you and somebody knows that you put your trust in Jesus here tonight. Anybody? Shoot a quick glance up here. We love you, God. Thank you. You're good, God. Thank you, God. Just continue to draw people to yourself, Jesus. Thank you for all you're doing. And God, would you help us boldly ask for big things in 2020.